are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on with Noah Gardner and Brady Somersell on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Brady, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing well, Noah. How about yourself? It's good. It's going well. Auburn, a resounding win in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Two touchdown victory over the Razorbacks. We also have Lance Dowell now joining us in the nick of time. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Doing great, Noah. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Gentlemen, an outstanding win for Auburn over the weekend, 38-23. to We'll talk about all that and more. Lance, it's good to hear from you, my good friend. What were some of your impressions? Well, it was a uh, it was a great win for Auburn over the weekend, getting a 38 to 23 win over the Arkansas Razorbacks. One of my immediate impressions was I went into this game predicting Auburn to win because they were going to be able to run the football, and they weren't really able to establish the ground game all afternoon. They weren't able to establish it consistently. It was what Bo Nix was doing through the air that allowed Auburn to win this game. 292 yards passing for Bo Nix, 21 of 26, two touchdowns, one interception right before halftime. Look, this is not this is not the way that I expected Auburn's offensive game plan to go. I did not expect them to try and throw the ball against this Arkansas secondary. I expected them to try and get Tank Bixby and Jarquez Hunter going, and they did attempt to do that at different parts of the ball game. They just simply weren't able to do it. Auburn's receivers were getting open. They were catching passes. Only just a couple of drops from this unit. Landon King had a big one, I believe, midway through the third quarter on third down. But outside of that, my one of my first initial impressions was, man, the fact that this team was able to get it done through the air as opposed to running the football against this Arkansas unit that statistically is not very good at stopping the run, it really surprised me. And I think that's a very good thing for Auburn fans to be looking at moving forward. If Auburn can throw the football as well as run the football with Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bigsby I think this offense has a lot of opportunity to to hit a higher ceiling than maybe some people expected my takeaway on the running game and that was one of the things that I wrote down I'm asking the question what is going on with this running game where you know there's so much talent in the backfield Jarquez Hunter was virtually non-existent Tank Bigsby had a couple of nice runs Jarquez was just 10 for 27 on the ground. Bigsby was 18 for 68 with a touchdown. Bo was the most successful runner, but he had like a 20, 25-yard TD run to put the game away. It was a 23-yard run, I believe, and he was 5 for 42. You take that out, he was still pretty effective, but they didn't really use his legs a whole bunch. It looks like, and Arkansas did bring in four-man fronts for a mass majority of the ball game. Arkansas was not coming out in their traditional defensive sets on the defensive side of the football. They weren't running three-man fronts. They weren't in the dollar like they have been for a large portion of this year. I'm not going to say that they came out stacking the box, but they definitely opted for more run personnel or run-stopping personnel 
than they have over the course of the season. And I think that helped them against Auburn. But I still think it is fair to ask the question, why is Auburn having a hard time running the football at this point when they really didn't have a hard time through the first four or five weeks of the season? But the last two weeks, it's been a bit of a struggle for Auburn. Nonetheless, the passing game as the game went on was able to move some of those players out of the box. And Arkansas was yet another victim on the road that fell victim to Auburn's passing game, moving you out of the box. LSU was the first team, Arkansas now the second team, to not be able to stop this Auburn passing attack where Bo Nix, now you can say, has won Auburn two games on the road, two big road SEC games. And let me tell you the way that Bo Nix did it. If, if there's any fan out there that somehow didn't get to watch this game on Saturday, the two touchdowns he had, it was him stretching the field and taking those shots. We were asking this question a lot during the offseason about whether or not Auburn had that in their arsenal at their receiver position. Did they have that deep threat that if Bo Nix wanted to take a shot and this offensive line would hold up, did they have a receiver that had enough speed to actually go out there and get it? We saw Javaris Johnson early in the game on the first offensive possession for Auburn score a 39-yard touchdown. By the way, Auburn elected to receive, I believe, the kickoff, if I'm not mistaken. Their offensive scripts that they have come out with over these past few games have been very, very good. Mike Bobo's been calling really good games as of late. And then later on in the game, Auburn gets a stop. They immediately go to the air. 71-yard touchdown bomb to Demetrius Robertson. It looked like it was just had a little bit too much air on it as Robertson kind of had to slow up and, and come back to it a little bit. But nothing's going to be perfect. It was still a really good throw from Bonix. He's uh, hung in there took a really big hit, I believe. He had a great day throwing the ball vertically and throwing the ball downfield. If Auburn, again, if they can get those explosive plays to work consistently, and you would like to believe against an Ole Miss defense that is not very good next week, not not this week, but next week, you would like to believe that Auburn can do that against Ole Miss in a couple weeks, you're starting to see this team build chemistry on the offensive side of the ball while they may not be able to run it, the offense, uh, the, the the wide receivers, rather, they're coming into their own and they're making these big plays downfield. And how about the tight ends, by the way? Can all Four tight ends getting catches on Saturday. Mike Bobo, I think it all comes back to his game planning. Mike Bobo has been phenomenal in terms of getting a bunch of different receivers and tight ends out there, mixing up looks and making sure that guys are open. I know that there's been some issues among the Auburn fan base about whether or not we should keep some guys already next season. There's some conversation about fans wanting to let some position group coaches and coordinators go. I think Mike Bobo has already done enough since that Penn State call on fourth uh, fourth and goal, that, that fade route. I think he's done enough to prove that he is worthy of staying with Auburn for at least a couple more years if he's going to call plays like he has been for the past couple of weeks. Oh, I think this is a great match. I don't understand the discourse about trying to move on from coaches at this point. I'm pleased with pretty much everything I'm seeing across the board with this group of coaches at this point. I think the change that happened earlier in the year at wide receivers has now been justified based off of this performance. Now, could it be a flash-in-the-pan type of performance? Possibly, but you also get a bye week, two weeks of work really, with these receivers before you play another game to continue to refine your skill set and work on what you need to work on. Bye weeks are about working on you. You can look at that film for two weeks. You can game plan for two weeks for the other for the other opponent. But and that does help you in those matchups. But 
I also like to look at bye weeks as an opportunity for you to look at yourself and improve upon things. And any coach will say this, improve upon the things that you need to improve on. And wide receiver play, I still think, is the thing that you peg there. Run blocking is another thing that I think you might peg after the last couple of weeks. But if Auburn can continue to improve across the board like they are, they're going to be dangerous. And I still hold to that that iron ball, and I said this all last week, with Auburn being able to control its own destiny after that Alabama loss, or even before that Alabama loss, because Auburn only lost to Georgia, that Iron Bowl game, is it's going to have massive implications when it's all said and done. Now, this is the SEC game, as I pointed out, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I do want to continue to break this down, but this is the game against Ole Miss in two weeks, and we'll have two weeks to talk about it. This is the game against Ole Miss where I said Auburn can't lose this game. You can't lose this one because Ole Miss is – they don't control their own destiny, but also if you were to go on and beat Alabama and hand Alabama their second loss, Auburn would have two losses, Bama would have two losses, and I don't think Ole Miss is losing to another team this year, so then Ole Miss would go to the SEC championship. So this is the team that you can't lose to if you want to go to the SEC championship and be controlling your own destiny going into the last week of the regular season against Alabama. This is the one that you cannot lose. You have to win this one. But theoretically, you could go and lose to Texas A&M and College Station in a couple of weeks and still very much so control your own destiny going into the end of the season against Alabama. Um, of course, you'd like to see A&M lose another game, which I think is possible. They lose to Ole Miss. They could lose to LSU. They could They could lose to anybody left on that schedule. But this is the game coming up in two weeks that you absolutely have to win if you want SEC championship hopes. And what this Arkansas win was was a momentum builder towards that to understand, look, we can go on the road and we can compete and we can beat this team by 15 points, a team that has beaten A&M already, a team that went out and beat Texas earlier in the season, as, as unimpressive as it might have been at the time it's still impressive that Auburn was able to go on the road and not fold once they got down. It was a conversation we had in the Penn State game. It's like, well, Auburn might have lost, but at least they didn't crumble and lose by double digits. In this game, not only did they overcome the deficits that they had, they went out and just flat out won it in the second half, and especially in that fourth quarter, they just took it away. So in terms of being this game being a momentum builder, like you mentioned, Noah, you've got the bye week, you've got time to work on yourself and improve on the things that you need to improve on. Again, like you mentioned, run blocking, receivers consistently catching the ball. We still need to make sure that these receivers are not consistently dropping the football moving forward. It's going to be really important for this offense's efficiency for them not to do that. I would like to see a little bit more consistent th- consistency in the secondary still. I think that's something that you also have to look at. Communication, focus, just getting the little details right across the span of this next week before you go and you play at home. An Ole Miss team that, again, like you mentioned, Noah, it doesn't really look like if they don't lose to Auburn, they're probably not going to lose another game on their schedule. They've got A&M, Vanderbilt, and Mississippi State as their last three SEC games. Going to be honest, I don't really know. There's a chance for them to lose two of those games, but I don't really see them losing those games with they're playing football right now. But I also will say this. This past weekend against Tennessee, we, we got to see the Ole Miss offense sputter just a little bit. Only scored 31 points in a very hostile environment. I'd like to think that Auburn's defense is just a little bit better than Tennessee's. It's at home. It's in Jordan-Hare. Again, this is not a game that you can afford to lose for all the reasons that you stated earlier, Noah. Auburn's going to have to get this one under their belt and then continue to win out for the rest of the season. And if you look at that Iron Bowl... 
and I know that Alabama went out and just trounced Mississippi State 49-9 to this past weekend, but you look at that Iron Bowl, and if I'm Auburn, I'm saying, okay, I've still got a shot. I've still got a shot in this game, and Alabama's defense just flat out has just not really been getting it done consistently this year. Momentum builder is what this Arkansas win was. Looking back at the quarterback position, Bo Nix was 21 for 26 with 292 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Feels like one of the few games this year where he has had higher than 10 yards per attempt at 11.2. He had a 97.3 adjusted QBR out of 100. Out of 100, my man, he had a 97.3. K.J. Jefferson had a 67. So he definitely outdueled K.J. Jefferson through the air. I thought K.J. Jefferson did play well, though. He earned some respect out of me, definitely struck some fear in my body for down the line in the future that maybe, and I'm beginning to see what you see with this quarterback, Lance, if K.J. Jefferson can have the stars aligned for him like LSU did a couple of years ago with Joe Burrow, I don't see any reason why over the next two years while he's still there at Arkansas because I don't think he's going to leave early to go pro. He's just not that good of a passer. But I don't think he has to be an exceptional passer for this to be a great Arkansas football team before he steps off campus. I think he's good enough by the time his career ends and his rushing ability is borderline unstoppable if they can get a consistent passing game around him and just consistent it doesn't have to be amazing it doesn't have to be world beating status it just has to be consistent and right now it's not there and um kj jefferson though man if they can get some guys around him if they can get him a good offensive line good skill position players that offense is going to be even scarier than we saw the potential of what it was like that they, they scored 23 but they moved five of their six first possessions inside Auburn territory they outgained Auburn in this game in total yardage. Um, I saw the potential of something that could be very scary in the next couple of seasons. At one point during this game, Arkansas had over 20 first downs and Auburn barely had 10. And at one point during this game, Arkansas had run 82 plays as opposed to Auburn's 45. This team, this Arkansas team and this offense, they were making this Auburn defense bleed yardage early on in this game. It didn't feel like they were unstoppable because, again, Auburn was able to bend but not break whenever it came to forcing them to field goals, forcing them to, to fourth down stops in the red zone. Auburn's defense held, but like you mentioned, K.J. Jefferson, not the most accurate passer, 21 of 35, not the most accurate guy, but his running ability at six foot five, he's definitely got some things that he needs to work on, but he's only a sophomore. And he's, if he's able to do that, and like you mentioned, Noah, get some guys around him, some skill position players around this kid and get that offensive line just a little bit better, this Arkansas team offensively can definitely be a, a, a big threat moving forward. Now that defense still is, is what concerns me because of all the players that they have leaving this season. They're still not a very good defensive unit, but that offense, man, KJ Jefferson has the potential to be something not like elite, but he has something the, the uh, potential to be something special. Let's head to a quick break here on On the Line, and when we come back, we will continue to break down Auburn's win over Arkansas. Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Going to continue to break down Auburn's 38-23 win over the number 17 Arkansas Razorbacks. Something else I want to point out real quick before we dive back into it. I'm glad that the AP poll 
because they've respected Arkansas so much, bumped Auburn back up into the top 20, not just the top 25. Auburn currently sitting at number 19 in the polls. It would have felt somewhat disrespectful if Auburn had been dropped from number 18 after losing to number two Georgia, beating a top 20 team, and just barely eking back into the top 25. I'm glad that AP voters put Auburn back at number 19. I think you could put them a little higher than this, though. I saw Auburn at 19. I was like, hmm, maybe. but (laughs) Because Arkansas was at 17. And, you know, there's just been so much respect for Arkansas. I mean, Arkansas lost two straight, and we're still sitting at 17 this past week. But NC State holds one top 25 win at this point. They're 5-1, and so maybe you keep them there because they've only got one loss. A&M at 5-2, they beat Alabama, so I get it. Wake Forest is 6-0. Kentucky deserves every bit of their ranking at 15. Then you start getting up there. It's like Auburn shouldn't be that high. So I understand it at 19, but still, um, I think this team's very good, and they're going to continue to climb in the rankings. Right. And you look at that NC State, I'm I'm not – I'm not – I I agree with you. Auburn should be ranked maybe a little bit higher, and if there's a team you could look at potentially being ranked higher than, I mean, beating Clemson in overtime at home, is that more impressive than Auburn's uh, 15-point win on the road against Arkansas, who the polls have heavily favored so far this season? Is is NC State's road victory over Boston College's backup quarterback more impressive than Auburn's road victory over LSU? Auburn's two big wins are on the road against two decent SEC teams, one of which I think is good. LSU, I don't think that this is much to uh, – I think that's more on Florida this past weekend than LSU, but LSU did play well. And I don't think LSU's horrible. I think LSU's average, and they would be very tough to play back then when they had all of their good players still, like Kayshawn mm-hmm. Boutte and um, Eli Ricks. Like That was a much tougher LSU team four weeks ago or three weeks ago when Auburn was playing them than – they are even now the one that just beat Florida. But I think those two wins are so impressive compared to maybe NC State's resume at this point that lost to Mississippi State, right? Right. And didn't really look convincing in that game. But that's kind of where you're splitting hairs right now. But here's my thing. If Auburn beats Ole Miss, they better pole vault. They better <laughs> shoot up the rankings. Um, I don't I don't want them holding down Auburn at like 16 or 17 if they beat Ole Miss because – the the discourse about Ole Miss is that they're a really stinking good football team, and uh, they've been hovering at 12 for a very long time. If Auburn beats Ole Miss, there better be some respect served there. Absolutely, yeah. This is this is a matchup next week where if Auburn wins this, I expect the national media narrative to kind of change on this team because it feels what? like either one of two things. It feels like everybody wants Auburn to be irrelevant this season or everybody just thinks that Auburn's irrelevant this season because they're not very good. And the Georgia State game for a lot of people kind of solidified that, I think, in some people's minds. But now that we've seen what Auburn's done since that game, they've been able to turn it around significantly. Look, you win this Ole Miss game, like you said, Noah, I think respect is due for this Auburn Tigers team and, and Brian Harson, who, by the way, has the best record out of any first-year head coach in FBS. That's right. He's tearing it up right now. And this Auburn team, they've got time to climb. And I wonder how the playoff committee is going to view Auburn compared to when they just look at a blank slate and are comparing everybody's resumes. Because Auburn's resume right now is pretty good. And I would put it up there with a lot of these teams that are in that range of 10 through you know, 25 that Auburn's being compared to right now. I understand the teams in the top 10 are either undefeated or one loss. And the teams that they've lost to, albeit, you know, Ohio State lost to Oregon, Alabama lost to a top 25 team at the moment. They were unranked at the time that they played them. But Auburn's resume doesn't touch the teams in the top 10 at this point just because those teams are either undefeated or one loss. But 11 through 20 
Auburn's resume, I would put up there with, with a lot of these teams. I mean, Iowa this year has beaten Indiana and Penn State. They hold a they hold one really good victory right there for me. Uh, the Iowa State and the Indiana wins aren't really that impressive for me, but they lost to Purdue in a blowout <laughs> fashion this past week, so it's oh. kind of split there. Ole Miss, who is Ole Miss beaten this year? Is Ole Miss's best victory Tennessee? Yep. And then you got Notre Dame, who hasn't beaten anybody significant this year. Their best win's probably Virginia Tech. Maybe even Florida State with the way that they're surging, which is laughable. Coastal Carolina can beat Buffalo by a point. Kentucky, their best win. I'm trying to think back across their schedule. Florida, I would say, is their best win. Maybe even LSU, because their LSU just beat Florida. Uh, Wake Forest is undefeated. Their best win is a couple of points over Syracuse. Um, A&M's best win, obviously, Alabama. But they have two losses that look really condemning on their resumes. So you can kind of look up and down this, and you can say, well, Auburn's wins are pretty stinking good compared to a lot of these teams where Auburn had to go on the road. Um, and their two losses are in the top ten, you know, and they were competitive against one of those teams. So the, the, you're right. The national narrative has definitely, before the season started, it was, and we talked about this a lot during the offseason, you and I said that it just wasn't right for, for people to think that going into the year. And I think Auburn's beginning to prove that, but there is still more work to be done to say that we are right because we, Auburn is just 5-2 and two and there's still a lot of time for things to go wrong. But um, Auburn... The, going into the season, there were people projecting Auburn to go 6-6 six and six and to lose this game to Arkansas. There were projections that said that Auburn would lose to South Carolina. I saw someone throw out 5-7 and seven during the offseason, but most people were not giving Auburn a prayer past 5th in the SEC West, which was the preseason media projection at Media Days. And then most folks had no, no one. I, I couldn't see anybody that had Auburn more than 7-5. and five unless you were covering the team locally and then even covering the team locally. I felt like that was still seven to five was kind of the bar set by most people. And you and I were saying, no, I think you need to look at this team and say that they're at least an eight and four football team this upcoming year. And they're very much so on their way. If they can beat Mississippi state, they can beat South Carolina. And then all you have to do is split between Ole Miss and A&M Auburn's all of a sudden eight an eight and four football team. And I think that that's the baseline for the, where this team could get to. They very much so could get to that 9-3, 10-2 range that I projected them at at the beginning of the season. I said that they'd finish second in the SEC West. I could be wrong. Auburn could win the SEC West. I think it's that wide open right now. They're improving at a at more of an exponential rate at this point. If you think about an exponential curve on a graph, it's very slow at the start, and then it starts rapidly improving once things start to connect. Right now, things are starting to connect for Auburn, I think, in a quicker way than they were through the first four weeks. Why is that? They were trying to learn a new scheme on both sides of the football. Receivers weren't catching the ball. But you could see that they were very close. And once they were about to, once they put it together, you could see, well, this this could be a really good football team. I mean, you and I several times on air and off air were just thinking, man, if one of those receivers from last year's football team had came back, this Auburn team would be really, really good or would have a chance to be really good. Well, now you've got three or four pass-catching tight ends that are really sure-handed and a receiving core that just took a big step this past week at Arkansas. That's where you're beginning to see the exponential growth. I think maybe at the receiver position, they, they played a really clean ball game, and that sends this team's potential, I think, a lot higher than where the national media and the general public perspective was of this Auburn team going into the season. And after that Georgia State game, like you said, Lance, 
that was something that was kind of like for for folks out there, pundits of Auburn that were not high up on Auburn, that was the game that they used as their crutch to say, oh, it's over for Auburn. Check out of this team. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then they were just looking for the first loss to try and bounce Auburn from the top 25, even though it was to Georgia, and they dropped them out of the polls, like six spots. Ridiculous. Um, I, I just didn't think that that was right. And now all of a sudden they beat a top 25 team. I'm glad to see that they're back where they're at in the top 20. I want to get back to what you were just mentioning a moment ago, talking about how you have all these different tight ends on roster that you can throw the football to. I know I briefly touched on it earlier. It's another impression that I had from Auburn's win is the fact that while we may not have that number one guy, if all of these different players are going to be catching passes for Auburn, I think it makes Auburn's offense deadly almost because you look at what look at what Arkansas was doing right they have four or five guys including their quarterback that can run the football for you and I think that's hard to prepare for if you've got at least two of those guys that can catch the football out of the backfield that makes it really tough to game plan for a team like that that just has so many threats at one position look Auburn may not have that number one guy that number one target in their receiver room including the tight ends but if you're able to spread it out to guys like Landon King now Tyler Fromm Luke Deal had six targets in this game it makes it difficult to prepare for this offense because what you once thought was not a receiving threat out on the field instantly becomes a receiving threat and oh by the way we've got three guys behind them that could also be a pass catcher as well you also just don't know where the football's going to right, right. on any given play like 10 different guys caught passes for Auburn on Saturday Cedric Jackson had five catches for 61 yards kind of came out of nowhere a little bit you know really um, warranted a lot of those targets that he got on Saturday and was making some very physical catches. Luke Deal had four catches in this game. Just it, the the love was spread around. Landon King was a fingertip catch away from having, you know, a touchdown next to his name and like 80 receiving yards on three catches. Like it was that close. And I'll tell you, of all the tight ends on this roster, I think he's got the highest ceiling. And I'm really excited to see what comes of Landon King. This offense is beginning to open up more and more. They are adding more and more wrinkles on a week-to-week basis, and that should scare a lot of teams in the SEC because this offense is now beginning to live up to its name that it had in the preseason, which is multiplicity. Exactly. Yeah, and, and again, the fact that Auburn was able to do that against this team and Arkansas really really impressive just the 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 fact that Auburn was able to to do that without having a ground game which is a major concern still by the way it is a major concern uh the fact that they were able to air it out and and get the win even whenever their backs were against the wall whenever the time of time of possession wasn't going their way when Arkansas was still bleeding just making this defense bleed yardage Auburn was able to come back and they were able to find those wins on the other side of this break we've got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports to talk the Bama win over Mississippi State Back on On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you have any thoughts about Auburn's big win over Arkansas over the weekend, call in. 334-321-1390 is the number to dial or text us at 334-564-1840. Noah, a lot of fantastic college football over the weekend, but also some fantastic high school football as well. This week's Point Broadband High School Player of the Week is Auburn High School's Carson Yancey. 
The senior quarterback came away with two interceptions in Auburn's 52-21 win over Smith Station. The Tigers advanced to 7-1 and overall and 4-1 and in the region with a home game coming up against Enterprise this Friday. Carson Yancey, your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. Point Broadband, smarter, faster fiber internet. Point-broadband.com. We are now pleased to be joined by Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.com. Jeremy, fantastic bounce back win for Bama over the weekend. What did you see from Bama's defense bouncing back in such a big way, only holding Mississippi State to nine points? I'm not really, I'm not really sure it was the defense that had to bounce back. If you take away, I talked to, um, I talked to one person that's kind of close to the program, and um, they were saying, you know, the, the defense got put in a tough spot against Texas A&M. They, you know, you bust a coverage. You have to get back on the sideline. You got to adjust. Well, the offense turns it over, puts you right back out there. You come back in. I think they scored again. You're down 14-0 or whatever it was. Or Bryce Young drives the field. You're trying to gain some momentum. He throws an interception in the end zone. And that defense was just out of sorts in the first half. Didn't have a lot of time to adjust. The offense wasn't staying on the field. And when you're playing an elite play caller like Jimbo Fisher and your offense isn't going to help you out on the road, it makes it really tough for a defense. I think in the second half, that's when you saw the defense bounce back against A&M. Uh, and they played really well against the team. Listen, they didn't give up 300 yards. They played Mississippi State on the road. They gave up 299 yards. I thought they played very well. The the defensive backs looked for the ball for the first time all year. And uh, they were able to get pressure. And that's something that they didn't get against Texas A&M. I thought that Pete Golding's um, game plan against A&M to sit back and try to let a young quarterback make mistakes. It came back to bite it. Well, he wasn't going to let the Rodgers kid from Mississippi State do that. The team came up with seven sacks. Will Anderson had four of them. Uh, he was unblockable, but, you know, it, it helps when you can put pressure on the quarterback, and that's going to affect everybody. It affects Bryce Young, and that's the unit that I think everybody was looking for against Mississippi State was this Alabama offensive line, and I told you guys last week that they were um, opening up competition at the right tackle spot, and Nick Saban said it, or maybe it was Joe Testator in the middle of the game said it um, in the middle of the game right there that Alabama opened up that um, competition again at right tackle that last week and it was in between Chris Owens, JC um, Latham and Damian George and um, Chris Owens had to fight off a true freshman just to be able to start Saturday against Mississippi State and I think when they go back and watch his tape from the first half they're not really going to like many things Chris Owens did in the first 30 minutes uh, but he played much better in the second half and um, uh, I, that might be big for him but I'm still not sure that right tackle spot is uh, fully sealed off. because, But Chris Owens, to me, is not even the one that would lose his job in that situation. I think that you could easily make the case to move Chris Owens back to center, which he is very comfortable playing, that he played in place of Landon Dickerson last year. If he was to lose his right tackle job, I think it was actually it would be Dalcourt, maybe, that is the one that gets booted off the offensive line because you like what Chris Owens can bring um, from an interior spot on the offensive line. But I thought everybody bounced back well, obviously, uh, but still, there's still some question marks on that Alabama offensive line, and I'm not sure how to fix it um, other than a potential personnel change. Going to head to the phone lines now real quick. 334-321-1390, and Rob is on the phone with us. Hey, Rob, what's going on? Rob, you there? Well, we might have lost Rob. Rob, if you want to call back in later, that would be great. 334-321-1390 is the number to dial. Would love to hear 
your thoughts if you're able to call back and talk with us. But yeah, going back to this Alabama-Mississippi State game, real quick, I want to get your thoughts on Will Anderson, who had a phenomenal game. I was listening to a podcast on Friday, I believe it was the uh, Saturday Down South podcast, and they said an over-under for Will Anderson sacks at one and a half, and both of them said he could potentially get over, but I'm going to take under four sacks, I believe, for Anderson on the day. Just a fantastic performance by him. Well, he was the guy in the locker room, just from the defensive standpoint, that said it was time for everybody to stop play, start playing up to the standard, and uh, he had to be the example. But you know, Will Anderson, he's been he's been banged up. He's lost his bookend on the other side two times now. So they were playing a true freshman on the other side, and Will Anderson was being double teamed a lot against Texas A&M. Everybody's saying, "Well, where is he?" Well, Chris Allen's out. Drew Sanders is out. It's easy to double team Will Anderson especially if you leave a tight end in the game, which Texas A&M did a lot, and he wasn't really effective. But if you double-team anybody, they're not going to be effective. Alabama brought a lot of pressure to make sure that Will Anderson couldn't be double-teamed Saturday, and and you saw what happened. He lived in the backfield. Um, He beat up on a former Alabama player in Scott Lashley at the right tackle spot, and if Will Anderson's going up against your right tackle, which is normally your second-best tackle, he's going to be able to get a lot of production, and uh, he was able to do that Saturday. And this Alabama team, like a lot of teams who probably aren't great in the back end, are going to live and die by the pressure. Mississippi State died by the blitz Saturday. Alabama won with the blitz. Did Alabama get better this weekend? I think they got tremendously better on – I think they were more focused. I don't know about better. Um, They had a better scheme. I thought the defensive play calling was better. I'm not – talent-wise, I'm not sure they got any better. Uh, the first couple of drives had Alabama fans kind of scratching their head on defense. Like, man, with these guys are driving, but they were able to get some turnovers. But um, offensively, yeah, I think in the second half they got a lot better. I thought Bryce looked more comfortable, didn't get rattled on the road. And it kind of helps your young quarterback if your defense doesn't open up the game and give up a touchdown like they did against Texas A&M. So it kind of plays both ways. How do you feel about this remaining schedule for Alabama? You've got Tennessee this weekend, LSU, Arkansas, and Auburn, the really games that matter. New Mexico State just sandwiched in there between those games. You feel you feel uh, confident heading into this Tennessee matchup this weekend? I think four of those are on the road. I mean, at home. So Tennessee, LSU, I think Arkansas is at home. New Mexico State's at home. Only one on the road is, is Auburn. That's this Tennessee game. They gave it everything they had against Ole Miss, who is – I mean, they are absolutely exhausted right now. They've gone, what, Alabama, they had to go to 52-51 versus Arkansas. Same thing for Arkansas, a little, they kind of, Auburn wore them down like they should have Saturday. Ole Miss limps into Neyland, able to get a win, but Tennessee's not coming into Tuscaloosa and playing that well as just as as they did against Ole Miss. They don't have a lot of talent, which is a problem. They had one really good recruiting class under Jeremy Pruitt, and um, I just this is what 15 it'll be, it'll be 15 in a row against Tennessee, which a lot of people would tell you is not even a rivalry anymore. If you win 15 straight. So Nick Saban's <laughs> going to do his thing that he normally does against Tennessee Saturday. And I think for Alabama, it's literally beat Auburn and you're in Atlanta. It's a, sim- simple. it's as simple as that. It is as simple as that. If there's one thing that no, I'm saying, like, that's, that's the objective. You're not losing any of these other guys. A&M's getting much better. Now, A&M still has a legitimate shot to to get to Atlanta and as well. So, yeah. but if you're Alabama, it's you got to beat Auburn and you get to Atlanta. Right. If there's if there's one thing that you would, if you were Nick Saban, that you would force this team to correct right now, the most important thing to you, what is it? They, I think it's Chris. O. They got to fix the right side of the offensive line. They got to mm-hmm. fix Chris Owens, and and 
Did anybody else notice that Nick Saban had to call a timeout on third and goal from the one before half because Bill O'Brien was going to throw it again? Did y'all know? Did y'all? And I think he said something about it in his press conference. Bill O'Brien, we had first and goal at the six. We run it in two plays, get to the one. We have two plays to gain a yard. And Bill O'Brien is going to try to do that exact same rub route concept, but just out of a bunch off the left side of the line. He had three receivers kind of bunched over there. And Saban calls a timeout and tells him to run it. Just challenge your offense. I think the I think the Alabama offensive line doesn't feel confident and doesn't play confidently because their offensive coordinator doesn't get it doesn't give them the chances to run the ball. They were going to score against Texas A and M if they run the ball in those situations. A and M couldn't stop them. They averaged six point one per carry, and he's still going to throw it. I think that's a, like Bill O'Brien. Like this isn't the NFL. You have better players. There is no there's no parity. In college football, you have better players than them. Just execute. And so I think that's been a problem for Bill O'Brien a little bit this year. It happened against Florida. It happened against A&M where uh, you guys watch the NFL every Saturday. Every game is a, is 10 points or less. Every single one of them. This is what makes the NFL great. But this is a, he, he has this grinded out mentality. We're on the road. Let's let's try to you know win it. At, but you don't have to do that. You don't have to try to win it at the end on the road. You have better players. Go out and execute and you win the game. So I think I think that kind of made Nick Saban mad. He wasn't happy about it. He wasn't happy about the two-minute offense before halftime. I still think just the biggest key is if you fix the right side of that offensive line and Bryce Young's not getting hit, you're going to win a lot of games. Let's go back to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. I believe we have Rob back. Rob, can you hear us? Hey, yeah, yeah, guys. Um, enjoy listening to the show. I was just going to agree with some points that y'all made earlier about the narrative on Auburn going into the season was this would just be a total rebuild. They're not going to be much. Brian Harson's an outsider. He doesn't know what he's doing. And as an Auburn grad, and, you know, I, I'm a little biased, but I'll try to be objective. Uh, that's just not the case. I just think what Brian Harson and his staff are focused on is coaching the Gus out of Auburn. And the more they do that, the more they embrace Harsonization and not panicking when things go wrong – and they're physically and mentally tougher. The strength program is a lot better. Uh, I'm with you. Y'all both are very smart. You talk about the Ole Miss game. Auburn beats Ole Miss. Auburn's in at least the top 12. At the That's the worst-case scenario. And we will beat Ole Miss. I, I think Auburn will. The uh, thing about Auburn is this team, they play a full 60 every week. And, uh, you know, Georgia's just a, a, a better football team right now. But uh, Brian Harson, if they can recruit to fill these needs, look at the tight ends. The one great thing Gus did, he left four really good tight ends. And don't y'all think they're making a huge impact, a positive impact for Auburn? And they, if the receivers can't catch the ball, throw it to the tight ends. Yeah, absolutely. And to be able to have nine or ten guys on roster like we saw last weekend against Arkansas, to have that many guys in the receiver room open to catch passes, it makes the offense more dynamic. And then you talk about Brian Harson. I mean, the culture's already here, right? He's been able to establish yeah. that. And that was the question this offseason is how quickly is he going to be able to win this fan base over? Look, I'm sitting here right now, even if Auburn loses against A&M and Ole Miss and Alabama, I'm still sitting here. Look, like you mentioned, you that's exactly right. Auburn plays a full 60 every Saturday. They're competitive. They play hard. And again, like you just mentioned, if he can recruit, if Harson can recruit some new players to come in and fill some of these gaps, 
I think Auburn is going to be just fine. I think that's my only question left now with Brian Harson and this coaching staff is I really like what they've done in terms of making this team more competitive this season, but I want to see them go out and recruit and bring in players that can kind of sustain that success. Well, another thing I asking y'all, how good is Drew Bobo? How good is Eston Harris? Because those are two local products. Auburn needs a lot of help on the offensive line. But the, the team, I mean, hey, Killian Zaire came in the other day. I thought he had a big impact. There's just areas on the team that, you know, my son, I've got one of my sons is in school at Auburn right now, and I was in actually in Athens Saturday, uh, believe it or not. I wish I'd have you know, been in Fayetteville, but I had to be over there. And I said three things for Auburn to win. Rush the ball for north of 170, tight ends catch eight to ten passes, and a fierce pass rush, but, hey, man, I'd rather have tackles for loss than a few one- or two-yard sacks in there. And, and Auburn, the Landon King, and, you know, I call uh, Tyler Fromm Riggins from Friday Night Lights with his long <laughs> hair. He, that's, that's, we've got some tight ends, man. There were heavy sets with two and three tight ends out there. This is the kind of stuff. And you got to – I have a lot of respect for the job that uh, Brian Harson and Mike Bobo were doing with the play calling. Don't y'all? Absolutely, yeah. And we were talking about that earlier. It's like, even though I know Auburn got blown out in that Georgia game, but whenever you look at the way that this team has designed scripts to open up football games, specifically with Mike Bobo's play calling, we've seen it time and time again, even against the best defense in the nation. Auburn was able to go down, and it looked like Georgia essentially couldn't stop them from getting into the end zone. Now, it took Bo Nix dropping the ball and, and almost fumbling to kind of stall that drive, but whenever Mike Bobo gets his guys in position, that opening script, that opening, those opening plays that this team practices – I mean, it, it looks great. It looks phenomenal. And then you talked about uh, Drew Bobo and Eston Harris. I think those two guys are going to be great. Uh, Drew Bobo, a real, a real versatile guy. He's probably going to play center. Very intelligent player. Eston Harris. I'm excited about him at six foot six as a as a potential tackle. He could be great. And look, I know you mentioned that the, that these guys are only three stars, but something that I trust this coaching staff to do. It's something that we've seen a lot at different places like UAB is player development. They bring these guys up from their three-star potential, and they make them play like five-star players. I would love to see Bobo and Eston kind of develop into those guys, and I believe that this uh, this coaching staff has the potential to do it. Yeah, I do too. But really enjoy your show, and, and I'm I think again, there's an, always a narrative written in the preseason, and most people don't like change, but Auburn, it's up to Auburn to change the narrative, and I believe they will. Thanks so much. Really appreciate the phone call, Rob. That was Rob from Memphis on the line with us. Really appreciate him calling in. Hey, call back anytime you feel like giving your thoughts. 334-321-1390 is the number to dial. If you want to text us your thoughts, 334-564-1840. Real quick, let's head to break, and we will wrap up our number one of the show on the other side. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law with you here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Lance Dahl back in the studio in Auburn. Jeremy, we got about four minutes left here in hour number one, and I got to ask you this question. I saw Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports, wrote an article earlier today about the LSU head coaching vacancy, and Bill O'Brien's name was on his list. <laughs> Do you think that's legit? Yeah, I don't know why it would not be legit. That, 
Bill O'Brien's got a bad rap this year, and it all was really because of one game is the A&M game where people were just, I've had it with this guy. Do you want to lose him? Uh, listen, if he left, man, there's guys out there. I mean, look what Auburn's doing with Mike Bobo. I mean, you give Mike Bobo the Alabama roster, he's probably in the same boat. You, Tom Herman's floating around out there right now. Uh, it, there's a line of people ready to come to Alabama. There's a line of people ready to coach at LSU. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think they're looking at Napier hard, who knows how to recruit the Southeast, and he recruited Louisiana well while he was at Alabama. Um, Fickle, I don't know about him, but there's a there's a long list of LSU people going to be lined up to coach LSU. James Franklin might be one of those. Everybody was pinning him into USC. There's a there's a good list out there for him. Other question I want to ask you: What do you think of that Ole Miss Tennessee game and all the garbage being thrown on the field and the and the you know not the great play on the field? <laughs> what was the quarterback doing at the end? Like, Joe Milton, you just running out of bounds. You I'm like, what are you doing? Like, dude, you do not get tackled. You do not run out of bounds. Get tackled inbounds. I don't care if he if he ran three yards past the line and threw it. It would he would have looked smarter had he just done something like that. I um, couldn't happen to a better program. It's pretty funny. Tennessee's getting everything they deserve for trying to dismantle Alabama in the early 2000s. Uh, <laughs> karma is a really bad thing. Listen, Fat Phil, he he. They set us up. We took the bait, and uh, they're they're getting it back. It'll be 15 in a row. But the Auburn game, thought Rob had a good call. Remember, I was one of the few people that said, just sit back and wait on what Harson's going to do. I did not peg Auburn in for a six and six year. I didn't. I said, let's just see what Brian— You agreed with me on at least eight wins. Yeah, you saw I said, the talent I said, there. I said at least eight wins, and I was also on the fence about nine and three. But, I mean, like I, I was one of those people, just see what Brian Harson can do. This year, he's— the problem is after this year, he's going to have to recruit because Auburn has a chance to lose a lot of players this year. And he's got some good running backs that uh, his offensive line hasn't really helped him out much this year. But Bo Nix is playing better. And we all thought that Bo Nix could play better because of the style of offense. That definitely helps. So I thought I thought Rob had a good call. Uh, getting the, what do you say, the, the harsonization of the Auburn program. I thought it was a well thought coaching out the call. Gus out of them. Coaching the Gus out of them. And listen, Gus... Uh, I know he lost his quarterback, so it's hard. Uh-oh. to well, it's hard to it's hard to say how good UCF could have been if uh, Gabriel still playing and wasn't hurt. But um, I think Auburn. I think Auburn is a good team. They haven't. There's still their offensive numbers versus the Power Five are not really good. They have like the 85th passing defense versus the Power Five, and they played Stetson Bennett and KJ Jefferson and the guy at, uh, at Penn State. So I mean they they have they have steps to go, but listen, they're going to be right there at the end of the year, like three or four other teams in the SEC West hoping to play in Atlanta. So, but they're also not letting people score. So like on the one hand, folks are going to bring up the yardage marks, right? But Auburn's played two top ten teams, and they're still giving up like twenty twenty one points a ball game. That's good. I don't care how many yards you're giving up. Don't get in my end zone. You don't get in my end zone. We're cool. No, listen, it's fine. Auburn's average. I did. I looked some stuff up up earlier they're averaging only 23 points per game versus power five so they were at like 65 after the first two games they're getting there it's and that's not a it's it's not a they can't get there but they're gonna have to be they're gonna have to play a little better to beat a and m they're gonna have to play better than they probably did against arkansas to beat alabama and they get one of those at home one of them on the road and Ole miss Ole miss is limping this is this should be a game now that auburn wins Ole miss is their defense playing LSU this week. I mean, yep. they're defense. They're probably going to play LSU, and their LSU is going to try to run 85 plays. They're going to go at it four straight weeks, and they're going to roll into Auburn, who is coming off a bye week, feeling fresh. And that old Miss defense has played 250 plays in the last 
two and a half ball games. And listen, we've got some interesting news on the other side of this break in our Making Headlines seg- segment. Ole Miss is not 100%, and Lane Kiffin had some interesting mar- remarks just a little bit ago. But that's going to do it for our number one of On the Line. Stay tuned. You do not want to miss. We have some breaking news about Ole Miss and their quarterback situation down in Oxford. Stick with us. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Our number two of On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Really appreciate Jeremy Law taking the time to stop by and talk some Alabama-Mississippi State and talk about Alabama and the program moving forward as they lose to Auburn eventually in the Iron Bowl just here in a few weeks. That's definitely going to happen. Write it down. 334-321-1390 is the number to dial or text us at 334 334- Five six four one eight four zero. Also, really appreciate Rob chiming in earlier in the show. Great phone call from Rob. Please call back anytime you feel like giving some uh, giving some input on Auburn football. I want to start hour number two here with our making headlines segment. Before we get into some of these interesting headlines, I want to throw this out there. I guess as a headline it- itself, Lane Kiffin casting doubt on Matt Corral's health with LSU dead ahead. Uh, he had some interesting words Kiffin did about Matt Corral er- earlier today. He said he's not in very good shape. He said, hopefully he'll play, but I don't feel good about that right now. Noah, is this a legitimate concern heading into this LSU matchup? You know what Ed Orgeron's response was? What? Quote, knowing Coach Kiffin, he's throwing me a smoke screen, end <laughs> quote. That was what Ed Orgeron had to say today, and that's suggesting some gainsmanship there on the part of Lane Kiffin. But if you watch the old Miss game, which shame on you if you did not because we were right in saying that that was going to be the most entertaining ball game of the weekend, especially in the SEC, and those 20 minutes of just garbage being thrown on the field was hilarious too. Not condoning that activity, of course, but just the sheer magnitude of the moment and the personalities in that game. Ole Miss, Tennessee, Tennessee trying to bring it back, the Tennessee fan base which can be notorious for activities like this at times and irrationale. And then Lane Kiffin also being thrown on top of that. That made that such an interesting game. But if you watched it, Matt Corral did not look 100% there after a a hit that occurred late in that ball game where he kind of banged his knee on the ground. And I don't know if that's here what uh, what Lane Kiffin's referring to, but Matt Corral ran the ball a lot. He took a lot of hits. It was a physical football game, which maybe wasn't totally what you were expecting between those two teams. But combined, the two schools ran like 170 plays or something like that, maybe more. I'll go and get that statistic in just a second. But there were guys dropping like flies left and right. It was every other minute somebody was hurt, whether it was cramping, if they may have been faking an injury for all I know, just trying to slow down the other offense. Guys were dropping like flies 
it was a very physical ball game, but this, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to comment on injuries or anything like that, but, um, you know, visibly watching that ball game, Matt Corral went through the ringer. I'm, I'm not buying what Ed Orgeron's saying with it could be a smoke screen. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's not 100. percent Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with that. Look, Corral took a beating after if you if your quarterback runs for almost 200 yards, he's probably taken a beating of some sort. And Tennessee, like you mentioned, they played physical. And I'll just say this about throwing trash on the field, and I'll leave it at that. Listen. If you're a Tennessee fan, don't throw your degree out on the field. you got to keep that thing, man. It's someone important. Don't be throwing your degree out onto the field after you get upset during a football game. All, all, all jokes aside, though, like, for real, just not a good look for the conference at all. But, yeah, Corral, not 100%, I would imagine, especially if Corral himself is describing it as somewhat of a stinger. You know, I would imagine after seeing him take that beating and having to step out for a play during the game, I'd imagine that he's not 100% healthy. Is it a major concern heading into this game against LSU? I don't know. It's at home for Ole Miss. You know, LSU, while they might have beaten Florida last weekend, good for them. They still are not. They don't have a lot of starters on both sides of the ball. So at the end of the day, even if he's not 100%, I would imagine that Ole Miss would would end up being just fine. But it is something I think. play, though, I think it throws it into question. I think it does, but at the same time, I just don't know if this old or LSU defense, which is so depleted, could even stop Ole Miss's rushing attack if they elected to run the ball a bunch. I mean, we saw. I, I get you on that one, but like, doesn't like like if John Rice Plumley starts at quarterback for Ole Miss? Oh baby, <laughs> is that not what we just saw with Florida this past weekend? Yeah, but I don't think John Rice, Rice Plumley is thro- throwing a bunch of interceptions at home. I think this Ole Miss offense is a little bit more disciplined than Florida. Sure. I, and I, I would agree with that. I think the Ole Miss defense is probably worse than maybe what we thought of the Florida defense going into that game, though. So that's kind of where it like evens out a little bit yeah. for me. Trying to pull up the line. It's nine and a half to Ole Miss right now at home, um, which that's that seems like a lot to me. I don't know. I'm I, that they may have just like I said earlier in the show, the, the Florida LSU game may have been more a Florida thing than an LSU thing. But I and and also do wonder, and this will be a headline that we'll get into in a second. Also wonder where the LSU headspace is at after knowing that their coach isn't coming back. It's it's all a weird situation right there in LSU. But if 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 uh, Corral does not play this weekend, I, I think this game's wide open. Yeah, don't get me wrong. If Corral doesn't play, I think this day this game you definitely then have to look at it in a different light, and you have to really pay attention to it, especially considering it is after all the two thirty uh, p.m. CBS Sports game, but. Yeah, if he doesn't play, I think it's definitely something that you have to look at. That's why I brought it up. Really interesting things coming out of Oxford. We will monitor both the line and Corral's health as the week goes on. Let's go ahead and get into that LSU headline, Noah. LSU head coach Ed Ogeron officially will not be returning to the Tigers next season. LSU and Ogeron came to an agreement, said that he would coach the rest of the 2021 season. They would pay his entire buyout, which I believe is just a little bit over $17 million, and then he would be leaving the program in 2022. This is such a weird situation. I never understand this stuff. And we've already seen this this year. It happened at UConn after like week two. Randy Edsel said, hey, I'm not coming back next year. He said he was going to retire at the end of the season. And then they ended up, he ended up leaving on Monday. Like he didn't end up even coaching another football game after that. I just don't understand when when this occurs because sure, it allows the the university and it allows you to get it out the way. Like I, I get it and I don't get it. On the one hand, I, I think I understand like it's just not not lying to everybody and saying, yeah, I'm going to be here when you know that you're not going to be there. Just go ahead and get it out the way. And and like I get the respect aspect too of like 
saying, Hey, we're going to let you finish out this season, you know, with your favorite university and, and, and letting him leave that way. Cause he did win a national championship for you 21 months ago. But what's weird to me is where are, how does the team stay together? You know what I mean? Like, what are you playing for right now? And are you able to unite this team under Ed Orgeron still by saying that he's not going to be the head coach next year? Because are are guys going to start doing their own things like we saw in 2012 with Auburn? Like you start seeing freelancing all across the field and it being about me, 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 I'm going to the league, you know what I mean? Or or I'm going to hit the transfer portal or something, you know, like at what point, and there's more options for guys now too, to make decisions like enter the transfer portal. It's harder to keep teams together these days than it was a decade ago when and we've compared that Orgeron situation, the Gene Chizik situation a lot. It's harder, I think, to keep a team together now than it even was 10 years ago. But on the flip side, LSU did just pull off a big win. So I'm trying to figure out where this LSU team's headspace is at with them finding out that their coach is not coming back and what are they really playing for at this point. Do the guys, do the players care about making it to a bowl game? Because the LSU schedule, even with that win over Florida, it's still like shaping up for them to be like a 5-7 and seven football team. Are you confident that they're going to win two more games out of Ole Miss, Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, Monroe, and Texas A&M? So that's beating ULM to get to five, and then can you beat one of your SEC opponents remaining where I think all of us would say at this point the most winnable game out of those is Texas A&M unless Matt Corral doesn't play. Um, but if if you know if, if they lose three in a row right here over their next three games and then beat ULM, and sure, they may be five and six going into the last game, but like, is it even that important to them at that point? I mean, there's so many factors going into it. And we'll, it'll be answered for us on Saturday about how they play. You know, it's hard to speculate on where a team's headspace is at until you actually see them play some football. Uh, but I'm cur- that's what I'm wondering from here out with this LSU football team is how do they rally and what is, their, what, who, what is that rallying point for them? Because they got a young quarterback. hasn't. This is his first year starting. He's, for all intents and purposes, he's a freshman because last year – doesn't count. I mean, what is the rallying point? Your two-star cornerbacks are out. Your best wide receiver's gone. Who is the leader? Because Ed Orgeron just said he's not going to be the coach next year. Who is the leader at LSU right now? Not really sure, to be honest with you. Exactly. And so, yeah, looking forward down the line with this LSU program, I agree with you. It's a weird move to do it right now, especially under these circumstances. I understand respecting Ogeron and saying, look, we're going to let you, if you really want to, we're going to let you coach out the rest of this season. We're kind of calling it forfeit. Like you mentioned, do they get to a bowl game is a question mark. Believe it or not, ESPN's FPI actually, I believe, gives Arkansas a or LSU a better chance to beat Arkansas than they would A&M. I'm not 100% sure on that. I'd have to go take a look. But yeah, right now, uh, in, in this situation, I don't really know how they're going to do this moving forward. We we got news earlier that one of their backup receivers, Coy Moore, has already entered the transfer portal today. I would only imagine that three or four other guys over the course of this uh, back half of the season will enter the portal as well. One, interesting to see how many how many players truly like this LSU pro, program and truly love it and want to stay, uh, regardless of whether or not Ogeron 
is going to be there. Another headline here, the Atlanta Braves walked off the Los Angeles Dodgers for the second night in a row to take a 2-0 lead into Los Angeles. Look, if you've not been watching this ga- these games, if you've not been listening to them, by the way, we're airing them right here on ESPN 106.7. If you've not been able to catch these two games between the Dodgers and Los Angeles in this NLCS series, they have been absolutely phenomenal. I've gotten to watch both of them. I actually got uh, offered tickets to the first game. I had to turn them down. I was busy on Saturday, but just two incredible baseball games uh, between Atlanta and Los Angeles. Rosario, I believe, was the was the player that walked it off for, uh, for uh, Atlanta last night. It was a routine play at second base that the second baseman should have made over the shortstop. I'm not sure, but it just got oh, right. Routine. Well, he sh- what if he had laid down, gotten on his knee, and actually caught the ball, it would have just been he had an- squared it up. Yeah, if he had actually like if he had focused up on it, Dansby would have been out at third at least. But he, it, the ball just got right by him, just barely got right by him, and uh, Atlanta was able to walk it off again. Two phenomenal baseball games to start off this NLCS series. Well, I mean. It was the shift, and Rosario smoked it up the middle. I'm actually watching the replay right here. And, like, honestly, I don't think you can even get – honestly, I don't think that was a routine play. I don't know how you could um, – I don't know how you could get over to that ball in time to be able to square it up and to be able to knock it down and keep it in the infield. But what's what's interesting about this play is the shift is what allowed this to be the game-winning run. If If there's no shift there, it's a base hit but it's into shallow center and Ron Washington's not going to send Dansby Swanson home with Mookie Betts's arm in center field, who was also playing relatively shallow in center field. But what allowed Dansby Swanson to be able to score in that situation is the fact that Seager knocked the ball down and slowed it down to the outfield to give Dansby Swanson enough time to be able to get home. And so um, I think you break down some of the things that occurred in the ball game, eight different Braves pitchers touched the mound. Uh, It was definitely a pitcher by committee, but what's great about that is you've got a day of rest here and you're about to go and play the next three games in L.A. You've got a day of rest because of the travel day. A lot of these guys are going to be available. It's going to be Charlie Morton against Walker Bueller for L.A. in game three. Those are your two aces for these two staffs. What's awesome is, is you took a game over Max Scherzer. You put your rookie on the mound in Ian Anderson, and you took a game over Max Scherzer. And uh, Ian Anderson almost went as long as Scherzer. Scherzer just went an inning and a third longer. Both of these teams utilized a lot of their bullpen. You knew it was going to be a bullpen day because of the fact that the series was changing locations, that um, you were going to get into those last. You want to try to save save as much arms and, you know, um, have as much stamina as you can over the course of this series. And uh, you got to try and balance this out with these back-to-back days in a seven-game series here. And the next three days are going to be played in L.A. So you knew that these teams were going to, you knew that these teams were going to have to save their arms for three days in a row. And um, this middle part of this series, if the Braves take two out of three in L.A., they win the series. I mean, that's what it's coming down to right here. Is it's it's a Imagine this like it's the regular season. You're going into a three-game series in Los Angeles. That's what it's like. If you get swept, all the pressure's on you, right? You held serve with home field advantage. But if you get swept, all the pressure's on you. If you win one game of this series, and preferably I would prefer it to be like game four that you would win so that L.A.'s not taking, you know, the last two games headed into Atlanta, then it would be 3-2 and you start to, you know, feel the hair raise on your neck because you're afraid you're about to blow a 3-0 lead. You know, preferably I would I would not want Atlanta to have a – or not Atlanta. I would not want L.A. to have a winning streak going back. But if you can win game four or game five and kind of stem what the Dodgers are doing – as far as um, as far as a comeback of sorts in L.A., 
then you can have a lot of confidence to close this thing out at home in Atlanta. Just don't get swept in L.A. Make sure you can win one. Last thing I want is the Braves to take a 3-1 lead and for, for everybody to go into that fifth game. Just just really, really nervous. Uh, I'd like to see them take a 3-1 lead, but we saw last season things not uh, work out in the Braves' favor, though. I will, I will say again, fantastic series so far. If you've missed any of it, we're going to have coverage of it right here on ESPN 106.7. You do not want to miss these next few games between the Braves and the Dodgers. Hey, the men's basketball AP Top 25 poll was released. Auburn coming in at number 22 and Alabama at number 14. I believe there was five or six uh, total SEC teams. Kentucky at number 10. Tennessee, I believe, was at number 18. I may, might be incorrect. I'm going to go pull it up here in a second. But, yeah, Auburn entering the top 25, starting off the season ranked for the second time in the last three years. Yeah, I've got the poll right here. I'll run through it for everybody. One, Gonzaga, they got 55 first-place votes. They bring back a lot on that team that went to the national championship last year and lost two is UCLA eight first place votes. This makes me incredibly uncomfortable about UCLA. There's so much hype on UCLA. When does that ever feel like that actually comes to fruition? Now they bring back a lot of players from that team last year, but, and this Mick Cronin coach team, they're, they're gritty, but they play a brand of basketball that if you are not super efficient on the offensive side of the floor, you will lose. You will. Just plain and simple because you will score like 52 points and the other team should be able to find more than 52 points. Um, that, it's just a very it's a very low margin of error type of, type of basketball in UCLA. I wonder if what they did last year, I hope people aren't just buying into this because they got hot in the postseason. Like, is this team really legit or were they just playing well above their weight class? Three, Kansas four Villanova, five Texas. Once again, another team right there where a lot of hype being made around a team that's going to lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Six Michigan, seven Purdue, eight Baylor. You're defending national champions there. Nine Duke, 10 Kentucky, 11 Illinois, 12 Memphis. Another team there that gets a lot of hype, never actually does anything with it. 13 Oregon, 14 Alabama, 15 Houston, 16 Arkansas, 17 Ohio State. 18 Tennessee, 19 North Carolina. Is North Carolina going to be a bounce-back team this year? Is Duke going to be a bounce-back team this year? Those teams are going to get ranked to start a year, but the question is, will all the Blue Bloods stay ranked? 20 Florida State, 21 Maryland, 22 Auburn, 23 St. Bonaventure, 24 UConn, and 25 Virginia. Already looking at this poll, you can see that UConn team that Auburn will face in the first round of battle for Atlantis ranked at 24. Michigan State just outside the poll at 26. Indiana at 27, USC at 28, and Arizona at 29. Those are some notables right there just outside the poll. LSU receiving some votes. They've got seven votes coming in. They're in the 30s. And Mississippi State out there as well with five receiving uh, with five votes received. Mississippi State, I feel like, is a team that a lot of people are going to potentially be sleeping on to enter this uh, this season. I believe they got Garrison Brooks. They got uh, Rocket Watts from Michigan State as well. That Ben Howland coach team. You got to look out for them. But yeah, uh, really excited about college basketball getting underway with some of these rankings. St. Bonaventure starting the season off rank, something I didn't think I would say. Last year. Say it again. They had a great year last year. They had a great and, year. And remember, Auburn plays them in the season opener at St. Bonaventure, and they beat them, and they end up going to the NCAA tournament. But the the conversation about St. Bonaventure when Auburn opened the season with them was like, oh, this Bonnie's team was terrible last year, you know? Mm-hmm. And then St. Bonaventure ends up being actually kind of pretty good, and now they're starting ranked. 
they had a good year. It's I just don't expect teams like that to have continuity over into the next preseason poll because it was something that you kind of brought up. A lot of blue bloods to start out the season will get favor in some shape or form to begin the the preseason poll. So it's it's surprising to me that some of these teams at the bottom. Uh, were able to make their way in over some teams like Michigan State sitting there at number 26. And, and I feel like the year is 2007 with yeah. Gonzaga, UCLA, Kansas, Villanova, and Texas as your top five. It's not a top five we're accustomed to seeing. It's a good time to be a basketball fan, though. After seeing how how tumultuous last season was, it's a good time to be a college sports fan. It's just been it's just been great in terms of all the different buzzer beaters and all the different highlights we've gotten to see in college football and all the upsets and different things like that. it's so There's so much parity as to what we have kind of seen over the last three or four years, at least in my opinion. Y- y'all may disagree with that. It's just been, it's been really entertaining. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and on the other side, we're going to get to some Saturday takeaways. And, uh, man, there were a lot of fun games in the SEC over the weekend. We're going to talk about them. Stick with us. Monday edition of On the Line. Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you want to call in, talk about anything that's going on in the sports world, 334-321-1390 or text us at 334-564-1840. Before we get to some of our, some of our uh, Saturday takeaways, I want to talk about this LSU coaching situation a little bit more. We touched on it a little bit in our Making Headlines segment about how it's just a weird situation right now down in Baton Rouge. There are some names flying around, some rumors. Jimbo Fisher was a name that was mentioned earlier. I believe he addressed those rumors earlier today. Lane Kiffin's another name that's getting thrown out there. Just a lot of different position, uh, potential names out there that LSU could go and get. Noah, who do you think LSU is going to look at first? I think that there are some different tiers that you could break this down in. Before, before, before I get to that point, and I didn't include Jimbo Fisher on this because I don't think that's going to happen, but yeah. what do you think about Jimbo Fisher? Jim- I just thought that was so obscure to see that listed on candidate list I don't know about Jimbo I mean he was the OC there back when Nick Saban was there so there's the tie turned down Auburn too though at least you know you know it felt like he was linked to back in 13 I guess or not not or headed into 13 or I felt like Jimbo Fisher's name has came up in the Auburn sphere over time right just because he was an OC at Auburn he's OC all over the place you know Exactly. So that's what I'm saying is like, while there's the tie, I mean, Texas A&M did just pay this man $90 million to coach their team. I can only imagine that LSU is going to throw somewhat of a bag at him. I just don't know if it's going to be enough to kind of pull him away from what he's got going on in uh, in, uh, in in college station. Real quick, let's head to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. And Shane is on the line with us. What's going on, Shane? Hey, guys. How y'all doing? Doing good. How about you? And well, just a few things, and I'll get off real quick. Number one, who 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 wants Texas A&M right now? I mean, uh, I mean Jimbo Fisher right now. I mean, is he really that sought after? What has he done? Yeah, I, I don't want him. I don't want the dude. I don't think LSU wants them. They 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 have enough money. They can really they can go after some some names. I, I don't think he's a big you know a big name anymore because I mean he's been at A&M for a while. He hasn't done anything. Except lose that, and then the Braves last night. I watched that. That was awesome. That was that was that was awesome. I was that turned to my wife. I said, you know, if this guy gets a base hit right here, the game's over. And then smack. And, and it what it it looked like a it like it could have been a routine, but that ball was hit so hard that that I, I, I don't know. I, I I watched a lot of baseball. I've never seen a, a, a 
the ball hit smack like that. First hit, just wham. First pitch, right back at him. And it, it hit the dude's glove, and he might he might could have squared it up, but I just, I don't know. I think I think that it's like he was just meant to be. He was in the stars for that for, for these last two games. Right. Hopefully, you know, get two more in it. Same same fashion. Yeah, absolutely, and the Braves are playing aggressive right now, and I absolutely love that. They are. And something else I say you mentioned is like, oh, well, if they get a base hit here, they'll win the game, and then they won the game. I was about to head out to go pick up pizza. I was hanging out with my family, <laughs> and before Peterson hit that home run, and they were say, they were like, oh yeah, you got to go ahead and go pick up pizza. I was like, hang on, let's watch let's watch uh, Jock hammer this one home real quick. It was right before yeah. the pitch, and then he just sent that. I mean, that was yeah. just a bomb. Uh, from Jock Peterson, was, he's quickly become my favorite Brave. You, that that was that was it, it was hit so hard, and the Braves went when the they knew they were going to win. They got the confidence at the right time because mm-hmm. the, the, the ninth inning came up, and I, I, I know that they knew they were going to win because if you look, if you look, they weren't just taking back and taking the pitches. They were going out there and they were going to win the game. They were going to take the game, and then that's what, and that's exactly what they did. And that's awesome. I love that kind of confidence and and Braves right now. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that, that and uh, nobody wants uh, Jimbo go back to selling cars. Then that's all I got, guys. And War Eagle, <laughs> War Eagle, Shane. Appreciate the phone call. Three three four three two one one three nine zero is the number to dial. And yeah, what Jimbo actually said earlier was, I, I love being at Texas A and M, and this is the job that I want. So it doesn't really look like Jimbo is going to be leaving A and M anytime soon. Uh, it was an interesting name to get thrown out there for sure. I don't really think it's a viable option, and uh, Jimbo saying that just kind of proves it. Who are some of your candidates? Okay, so I have a few candidates. Lane Kiffin is the one that comes to mind for me, and you and I were talking about this, Noah. It's like, well, early early on, I had the opinion that he wouldn't want to leave Ole Miss so quickly, but then also there's the, there's the flip side of this. If Matt Corral leaves for the NFL draft – and Ole Miss has some type of like Sugar Bowl type of year, or who knows, they may get to the SEC championship and they play just to have a phenomenal season, like an 11-2 and type of year or something like that. You know, LSU's going to come calling, and after losing Corral, your potential Heisman candidate, it's kind of like, okay, what else is there to prove before I go on to one of the biggest jobs in the entire country, right? And I can start recruiting there, and I can start developing there, and Arch Manning all of a sudden gets back into the conversation in terms of recruiting down at LSU. I think that all could be all the Manning family needs is to send someone to LSU, and then you've really got the trifecta of Tennessee, Ole Miss, LSU. Exactly, exactly. So what I'm saying is I think it's definitely a possibility that, that uh, LSU at least asks Kiffin, will he take the job? Kiffin is, is, I don't want to say that he's weird, but he's, again, just been a journeyman, so I don't know. I really don't know what his answer would be. I'm confident that they'll definitely throw some money at him, but he was a guy that I think right now is number one on my list. I've got some tears, and I'm going to hold on for that because I know we're about to go to break. Uh, Kiffin is on my list. He is down towards the bottom of my list. Something about that feels disastrous. Um, and maybe things are just kind of going the right way for him right now at Ole Miss. I still want to know, can the guy build a program? Can he do that? You know, at a, at a major institution, can he build a program? Cause I don't know that has not been proven yet in his coaching, in his head coaching career. And on the other side of this break, we're going to get to some more head coaching candidates. Want to extend this conversation, kind of talk about some of the names that have been thrown out there. Like I mentioned earlier, a lot of guys in the loop potentially for this LSU head coaching job. You're listening to on the line.
Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama, continuing our conversation about the LSU head coaching search. Noah, you've got your names of potential candidates, and you've broken it down into a list of tiers. Home run hires is where I'll start, and I think it's Bob Stoops in my mind, and when Auburn was looking for a head coach and you know, I, I thought to myself and I talked with several people, I was like, blank check, man. Put it in front of them, write it down. Right. And it's like I th- I think that's for like major job openings. Bob Stoops' name is going to come up. It's just I think, you know, the the perception about Bob Stoops is that he's got to go to a place that is already set up to win at this age in his life. He's not looking to rebuild. He's looking to go in right away and win. He's he's looking to go in right away and win. And LSU's got the talent to do that. And I think if Bob Stoops goes to LSU, you can go ahead and get him hired like soon. You don't have to wait till the end of the year to do it. On top of that, I think you're able to keep and corral a ton of those players from heading to the transfer portal because they're like, oh, man, I'm playing for Bob Stoops, you know, and he's got SEC experience. He was with Steve Spurrier back with Florida in the 90s. that would be the best hire that they could make is Bob Stoops. The problem is they've also got to fend off USC in that same category. Also, does Bob Stoops really still want to coach? That's another thing that that's a question that I don't think folks have quite been able to answer. You know, is Urban Meyer going to, is Urban Meyer even a viable option after all this nonsense in Jacksonville? That's another name that I think would end up being really successful. Look, for all, for all the nonsense that has occurred with Urban Meyer across his coaching career, one thing that you can say is the guy's a really good college football coach. I don't think he's a very good NFL coach, but he's a very good college football coach, and I don't think LSU would go in that direction, especially with all the, the stuff circulating their program at this point because there's enough drama down in the bayou to bring in, uh, you know, to not add in, bring again Urban Meyer, but uh, the home run hire, I think, would be Bob Stoops. If not Bob Stoops, the other name that I would put in home run higher category is James Franklin. But there also could be a bit of a bidding war there between Penn State, USC, and LSU to retain for Penn State to try and retain James Franklin services, USC trying to lure him away, LSU possibly trying to lure him away. I think he ends up winning at any of those three locations. Um, you know, and maybe this is a situation where James Franklin's, you know, using USC and LSU. Now there's a lot of demand. Like James Franklin is probably the most, he, he is the, he is the most in demand coach in this coaching carousel right now. He's got the most, he's got the highest winning pedigree out of every coach out there on the, on the carousel. And he's at the highest profile location. No other coach comes to that level where James Franklin's at. And I think it would be a knockout hire for LSU if they could bring him down. The problem is they have to fight with USC, who also has a lot of money and resources, and Penn State, who also has a lot of money and resources, if not more than LSU. They're all on the same level. So I think those would be your home run hires if you could land at least one of those two guys. I think that uh, I think James Franklin is definitely up there for me. Uh, Bob Stoops would be a good hire, in my opinion. The, the my, my reserve on Bob Stoops is because he is currently in retirement. We're looking uh, if LSU's looking for continuity and for somebody to stay there with the program for a while. I just don't know how much uh, how long Bob Stoops would want to be at a program like LSU if they're trying to hold out potentially until Nick Saban finally retires. If they're trying to get a guy in there to kind of establish himself before that point and to carry on after Saban 
uh, fin finally calls it quits. I don't know how much longer Bob Stoops is going to want to be in the game, but like you mentioned, he would be a good hire. Uh, I think that he would go in there right now and he would win. Another guy that I thought of that is that is higher on my list is Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. And I know it's a group of five program, but you got to look at the upside with this guy. He's coached at a, at a Power 5 school in Ohio State. He runs a tight ship at Cincinnati. They're currently number two in the country. Who's doing all the right things there in Ohio. He's gotten that program up to a level where no, not a lot of people thought they would get. Currently number two in the nation. Highest ranking ever in program history. You would think that he would go into LSU and he would take all the things that he's doing at Cincinnati, do the, implement them at LSU, and make sure this program gets back up to tip-top shape and is, and is playing out there with the best of the best in the SEC I view I view Fickle because of how how tightly he runs his program at Cincinnati. I view him in the likes the light of guys like potentially like Kirby Smart or Saban or even Brian Harson. He does not mess around. He goes out there and he gets his guys to play and they go out there and get it done. That's something that you need at a place like LSU where you have the talent right and you have the the ability to go out there and hire uh you uh, position coaches and coordinators that will go out there and have success but you need that guy at the top that can be a leader and can control this program and bring it back to where it's been in years past I think Fickle if you're trying to go not necessarily militant but if you're trying to go with somebody that will bring this program back in line quickly I think Fickle's a good option Moving down to my next tier, the risk tier, but this would totally be an LSU thing to do. Joe Brady. Yeah. Um, Joe Brady, like I, I could see LSU making that type of a decision just because of what he did a couple of years ago and the role that he played in 2019. The risk there is he hasn't been calling plays just himself for that long. He even shared play calling duties for them in 2019 with Steve Insminger. So it really hasn't been in a, like a, a real control role, which he's the OC of the Carolina Panthers right now. He hasn't had that much control over a football program at all, and he definitely hasn't been a head coach at this point. But one thing is for sure, that offense won't have any issues if Joe Brady ends up being the next head coach at LSU. I've seen that name tossed around a few times. I think that would be very interesting. Um, that's the risk tier. I also think Lane Kiffin falls into that category for reasons that I stated in our previous segment. Lane Kiffin's a risk because we really don't know what you're getting out of Lane Kiffin for a long period of time. He's only been at Ole Miss. This is only a second season, and you could make the argument, and I'm not saying that this is true. It's not proven, but like, what has he really done on the recruiting trail? Not much. It is Ole Miss, so I'll give him a pass. But still, the guys that he's winning with right now were already on campus just saying – and maybe it's just one of those things where, and we know that Ole Miss hasn't had a difficult time bringing in good talent on the offensive side of the ball. They had good offenses before he got there. Maybe it's just one of those things where he's walked into the perfect storm and he got a quarterback with a lot of potential. Matt Corral was a highly rated recruit out of the state of California. If you're a three-star in California, which he wasn't a three-star, he was a four-star, but if you're a three-star out of California, you're a four-star everywhere else. And if you're a four-star in California, what does that say about you? You're probably a five-star everywhere else. So, I mean, the talent's there, and he's getting to – he's got, you know, the luxury car with all the bells and whistles, and that's helping him score a lot. But, like, does he have a complete football team? No, his defenses aren't very good. They're giving up 30 points a game this year, just as bad as they were last year, if not, you know, on that same level, if not worse. Um, 
I just I, I just think that there's still a lot there to wonder if Lane Kiffin is able to build and sustain a program at a Power 5 institution. He was at Florida Atlantic for three years, won two Conference USA Championship, good. But those were pulling transfers from Power 5 conferences and kind of turning it into last chance FAU, you know? And, and he kind of even marketed that. It was a different vibe at FAU. It's a different thing to win at that level than it is to win in the Power 5, and we have not seen him do that across his coaching career for a consistent time period and sustaining success. And I think it's far too early to say that he is that he would be able to do that at LSU. I think that another candidate that we should be looking at potentially uh, within this risk category, what are, what are your thoughts on Billy Napier potentially coming up from Louisiana? Brandon Marcello had some high praise from him uh, earlier today, I believe. I believe he said had some really positive things in terms of like his ability to challenge Alabama for the best staff and organization in the country. Napier, I think, follows in that risk category simply because he is coaching at a group of five school. So I didn't put risk there for Billy Napier. I actually put him as my little guy higher. And like if I had like Auburn, if this was Auburn back, you know, in January or December, excuse me, if this was back, you know, pre-Christmas in December, um, Billy Napier, Bill Clark would have fed into that category with Auburn. Little guy who I feel like their ceiling is not like super high, but or at least we just don't know because they've been at a group of five team, but also don't think their floor is low either. Like, I think they have a high floor, maybe, you know, kind of a low ceiling, you know, are they really going to win you? Are they going to win you a national championship? I don't know, but are they going to like give you disastrous seasons either? No. And so Billy Napier is on my list. I just had him in the little guy category because this is not a sexy hire. And I don't think he's going to be the first name on LSU's list either because it's not the sexy hire and LSU is going to try and go after one of their home run names. But if you work your way down the list a little bit, you could do a lot worse than Billy Napier, who I do think can bring some order like you were talking about and some function and take some of the dysfunction out of LSU. Like you were talking about with Luke fickle. I think Billy Napier can do that as well. And we know he can recruit well because of his background in the sec and what he did at Alabama we know he's got the ability to do it, and he's got some Nick Saban qualities in him in terms of how he runs a program. He's very successful right now at Louisiana Lafayette. I think they can do a lot worse than Billy Napier. I just don't think he's one of your first options. I think he's your he's your little guy that you know th- this could work out because he really likes LSU and because he's the in-state guy, but I don't think he's one of the first guys you go after. There are more proven options. Dave Aranda as a potential yes. coach. I had him written down on my list as well. Yes. He is on my list, 100%. He would be towards the top of it. He has got Baylor rolling right now, and he's a defensive guy, and that Baylor team is scoring and scoring a lot, and they're also playing some pretty good defense too. This Baylor team, oh, buddy, they are interesting. And now that Texas just lost to Oklahoma State, um, the way that the Big 12 is organized and structured and that it's just the top two teams, there are no divisions, Baylor still has everything in front of them because they still get to play Oklahoma. They still get to play Texas. I think Texas is beatable. I think Oklahoma's beatable. Less beatable than they were with Spencer Rattler at quarterback, of course, but Man, Dave Aranda has quickly 
put Baylor back on the map in the Big 12 again, even after losing Charlie Brewer at quarterback. He has sustaining success there that Matt Rule had, and Matt Rule was kind of up and down. Dave Aranda knows defense. He's going to bring that hard-nosed mentality back to LSU that they have sorely lost. Dave Aranda would be the top, would be towards the top of my list. Honestly, I would go Bob Stoops, James Franklin, Dave Aranda. You look at the numbers that they're putting out right now offensively, they are able to do something that LSU has kind of strayed away from outside of this past weekend against Florida. LSU's not been able to run the football very consistently, and part of that has to do with the offensive line. You look at what Baylor's doing right now. Just this past weekend, they ran for over 300 yards against 19th-ranked BYU. They're able to establish the ground game, and offensively, like you mentioned, Noah, they're scoring a lot of points. I feel like he could bring back a lot of what LSU has been missing these past two seasons over uh, under Ogeron. We've talked about it a little bit. The defense has fallen off. The offense has not been efficient, and the running game has just absolutely disappeared. What is Dave Aranda doing at, at, at Baylor? They're playing consistent defense, they're running the football, and their offense is scoring points. He would be a guy that I absolutely think could uh, could be a good hire. 100%. Dave Aranda, like I said, it, it would go Bob Stoops, James Franklin, Dave Aranda, and honestly, the top two on that list feel like long shots. Not of anything on LSU's part, but because this is going to be a coaching carousel that is going to be wild. Every week, Miami inches closer and closer, I think, to the brink of looking for a coaching change after they just lost to North Carolina. Miami could be out there. Florida State's undergoing a little bit of a resurgence. Did they win this past week? Florida State? I don't know. I'd have to go check and look. Florida State was on a two-game winning streak coming into this week. Um, I'm about to go back and look. Let's see. Did Florida State win this they were past on, week? I believe they were on a bye. They were on a bye. So, uh, yeah, they did win. Two-game winning streak for Florida State. This week, they play, just looking at the ACC. Sorry, computer's a little slow. Let's see who Florida State's they playing this UMass week. They got UMass this weekend. They got UMass, baby. Let's go. Okay, so now you're at three and four after this. I'm trying to pull up the entire Florida State schedule. So they got UMass. That's going to get them to three and four. After that, they're on the road at Clemson. That's an upsettable team. Florida State's scoring some points right now. I mean, they they scored 33 on Syracuse, scored 35 on North Carolina. Not good defenses. The Clemson-Florida State game, you know, you would expect Clemson to win that, but you never know. They'll have a home game against NC State. That'll be a loss. But then their last three games are against Miami, Boston College, and Florida, all winnable football games. I don't see a reason why Florida State couldn't get to a bowl game, which the way that Florida State ends this season could very well stay, save Mike Norvell's job, uh, which was a place that I did originally think, you know, maybe Florida State was going to be a location that opens. But you can see Miami, Wisconsin, um, LSU, USC all have job openings at the end of this year. And it's like, man, there's a lot of competition out there. And maybe James Franklin just opts to stay at a place. Why would you leave if you're James Franklin to go to a place that is possibly going through, you know, tumultuous times when you've got things hammered down pretty tightly at Penn State and you're not going to experience a whole lot of drop off. So I, I think it's going to be hard to get those top two candidates if you're LSU. All right. One more uh, potential candidate here before we go to break. Who is another guy that you really like? I did put Lane Kiffin on my list, but he's going to be towards the bottom of it. Bill O'Brien's another name that I saw thrown out there. I want, I too wonder how successful he would be. You got to remember Bill O'Brien built his resume in college before he went to the pros. And then he had success in the pros. I mean, of course the Houston Texans did go down in a, you know, a flaming dumpster fire, but 
He was successful at the collegiate level at Penn State. He put Penn State back on the map during some pretty dark times Um, prior to his time in the NFL with the New England Patriots back in the late 2000s. He was at Duke and Maryland and Georgia Tech, even was at Brown back in the 90s. And he's coached in college football for a long time. And he's at the, you know, the Nick Saban School of Rehabilitation to get coaches back into high profile coaching jobs. I, I too think Bill O'Brien would be would have to be at towards the bottom of your list, but I could see him being on your list. He's he's good with quarterbacks. I think he knows how to I think he knows how to build a program. Um, especially at the collegiate level. Maybe not the NFL level, but the collegiate level I think it would work. I just have questions about you know, has the has the game passed him by a little bit? Right. Because it has been almost a decade since he's been in the college level, with the exception of this year. So it, his his brand of football Right now, he's inheriting what Alabama already had in place. Can he go and institute what he wants to do from an offensive standpoint at the collegiate game ten years later? And I'm not, I'm not sure of that. So, I, just for the uncertainty of Bill O'Brien, towards the bottom of my list, but he is on there as a potential candidate. A lot of options for LSU if they want to make a decision. I don't think they really have to rush right now. They've got a lot of options that they can assess. And at the end of the, end of the day. Uh, I think they will make a, a slam dunk hire. this to you real quick. Hit me. Uh, I, people don't get mad at me. Okay, People don't get mad at me, and you can see where I'm going with this now. Yeah. What if Brian yeah. Harson has an awesome year? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. If if Brian Harson somehow either wins the SEC West or wins the SEC, uh, I, would not, I would not like it, but I think they would at least call. I think LSU would at least call. Uh, that's all I'm saying. That is all I'm saying. On the other side of this break, we wrap up the Monday edition of On the Line. Wrapping up the Monday edition of On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Been a fantastic show so far, and if you've missed any of it, you can go and find our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just search up On the Line. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We've got it all there. Let's get to some reactions from the weekend. Uh, Just a fantastic weekend again in college football. I feel like I've said that every single weekend so far when we come back on Monday. So just some great games over the weekend, Noah. Where do you want to start? I'll start on Friday night with my Lee Scott Warriors. Awesome performance. Running clock, start of the second quarter, around in the second quarter there, Lee Scott put up a 42-0 win over Hooper. Super proud of the hometown team here, the the team that I call ballgames for, to see them advance to uh, 6-2 and two on the year now. They finished off region play 3-1. and one. I mean, th- this is a team that's red hot on fire going into a bye week just before the end of the regular season. They got one more regular season game. So things started out great for me on Friday. Continued into Saturday. Awesome performance by Auburn. Super pumped to see this team now in the mix in the SEC West and continue to improve. And then Sunday was crippling defeat at the hands of the Arizona Cardinals, 37 to 13 or whatever it was. So bummed for the Browns, man. Back to three and three, back in the cellar of the league in the mm. division. We're behind Noodle Arm in the division, Lance. <laughs> Noodle Arm, uh, I can only imagine, is probably not going to be able to sustain uh, the success that he's having, the limited success that he's having. Uh, this season is Baker Mayfield hurt? Is he like is yes, is he with a shoulder injury? Ah, man, 
He I said he'll play through it, though. And we've also lost Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, both to calf injuries. Wow. Okay. Well, season's Got done. Five foot eight, Demetric Felton as this number one running back right now. Let's go. It's Let's. Sean Shivers, bro. It's Sean Shivers. <laughs> we got Sean Shivers as their and starting Anthony running Schwartz. back. <laughs> hey, it's true. It's just it's just it's uh, twenty nineteen Auburn all over again. But That's yeah. Fine. Fantastic weekend of football in general. Had some really good games in the SEC. Alabama bounced back. Georgia handled Kentucky. Like we mentioned earlier, Ole Miss uh, got the edge over Tennessee in what was a, a way more physical game than I think a lot of people thought. Florida somehow ended up blowing it to an LSU team that just seemed like they didn't want to play. 49-42. good for losing a game like this. He, he, he is. And Texas A&M played against a Missouri team that just decided not to play defense. I saw a couple highlights, and it was just Texas A&M's 11 players out on the field. They were just running plays, just without any defense on the field. It was wild. 35-14, the final score there. That's going to do it for the Monday edition of On the Line. We'll be back tomorrow. Going to break down some of, some of those SEC games more in depth. Going to talk about what Auburn needs to do over the bye week, what they need to improve on a little bit more. It's going to be a great weekend heading into another great weekend slate of college football. We'll see you guys tomorrow. <laughs>